Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. All right, you're now tuned in to the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 236, CP3 turnovers in the first quarter. What's going on with Phoenix? Can Luka Magic make a miracle happen? Jaws out for the rest of the series. Memphis is done. And can we stop with the replays already? It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Drew, kick that intro music. What up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is. You know where you're at. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. The True Players Podcast, episode 236. Hope everybody had a nice Mother's Day, a Mother's Day weekend. Uh, I know it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a great weekend for some people. It's a tough one for some people. So I hope everybody enjoyed their time with their family and their friends. I had a great time. Uh, Mama Clips came down with Papa Clips. Even Sissy Clips flew in from Denver. Got to meet my my soon-to-be brother-in-law. Never had a brother before. Got to meet him, Ryan, who's awesome. Yeah, congrats uh, to them as well. Thank you. Even you got to come over with your bride now, with your with your new wife. You got to come over, meet the family, hang out for a little bit, chop it up. Uh, it was a good weekend, man. How about you? Did you see your mom? I did, yeah. I got to see her. Uh, I think it was Saturday. Yeah, I think it was Saturday. Um, I went up there. My my pops is under the weather right now, so he couldn't join the festivities. Uh, not COVID, though, so that's good. good. But yeah, I got to see my mom. Um, and we're going to be traveling up to Tahoe this week, so I'll, I'll get to see my mother-in-law as well. Yeah, we wanted to get one show, one show out of the way before you go, before we start doing these Zooms super remotely. <laughs> We're going to be recording from, from Tahoe for a little bit. Hey, but we have a lot to cover, man. I, I, I kind of want to start the show with a question, Drew. Yeah. I want to, this is the question. Where, as of today, we are recording on Tuesday, May 10th. As of today, where does Al Horford place on the Mount Rushmore of greatest players of all time for you now? Is he in between Mike and Bill? Is, is, is he before Mike? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, where, where is he now? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very valid question uh this this iteration of al horford would make round mount rushmore if he played like this for his entire career uh i you know to me clips i i mean i'll i'll, I'll get into it just off the top like it just it was tim duncan out there is what i remember thinking to myself watching him i was like if tim duncan played now this is how i think tim duncan would play and he would be hitting corner threes and making unbelievable defensive plays but that was that was one for the ages. I mean, look, you know, if Al Horford retires uh, at the end of this year, he can feel amazing after after a performance like that, taking it directly to Giannis um, with no qualms, not not backing down even for a little bit. And to the point where he like, I don't know how he avoided an ejection with that elbow <laughs> that he threw at him with the dunk. But that's about as I mean, that's about as dominant a play as I've seen anyone do on Giannis. And it has to be. Look, dude, Al Horford is the second oldest 
Celtic to score 30, 30 plus points in a playoff game. The last guy was Havlicek mm-hmm. in 77. What I was watching yesterday was, was crazy, man. And it couldn't happen to a better dude. If you think about like the last three years of Horford, right? Signs this astronomical deal with Philly, 109 million. They give this guy, right? It, it's, it's a shit show in Philly. We both called it that that would, it would work out like that. Then he gets shipped to OKC and they, and they pay him to not play. They're like, yeah. please, please don't even show up and play. And then he's the biggest player in a game four that the Celtics needed to win yesterday. And, you know, I, I, I was going to start the show with that Al Horford joke and then start with Luca and then, but whatever, let's talk about the game yesterday. Sure. Um, you know, Milwaukee started the game extremely patient with every one of their shots. They were getting, they were moving the ball, passing the rock, getting the right shot. The extra pass to Connaughton for the three. Bobby Portis was getting wide open. Uh, Giannis was okay, but they were in control pretty much this whole game. And then they just let it go, man. And Boston and Al Horford turned on the gas and he turned into fucking Superman. And by the way, you were bringing up that, that, that technical, which is just ridiculous. You did you think that that was a that was a technical on him when he got him in in the face? Well, I, I mean, think this know. is another one of those things where their Horford, uh, you know, got lucky by like the parameters of the rules that the refs have to follow, right? Because the foul was called, then it it deems what Horford did a dead ball activity, like a dead ball play, as opposed to you know the foul not being called, and then that rolls into the flagrant conversation. So he got lucky because they called a foul and it was a foul. I mean, it was the right call in my opinion um, and slammed it through. And, and I don't necessarily think that Horford intended on like taking that left arm directly to Giannis's face, but I also don't think that he tried to stop it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't oh, but know. Giannis does that every time too. Yeah. It's, yeah. Hard. It's, 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 it's like muscle memory, man. When you're going up for a dunk, it's kind of like just balance in the air. If you want to call it that I'm sure Al Horford didn't mean to get him like that, but he did. Yeah. Well, and, and I think this is also when like when you watch things in slow motion versus like real time, you can get caught up in, oh, look at him. He brought that left arm up and, you know, directed that towards Giannis's face. When, but when you watch it full speed, he was because of the, uh, you know, the foul that Giannis gave him, he was landing awkwardly, more awkwardly than he would have, you know, if he if he just had dunked it through clean. And I think that precipitated his like off balance motion to like bring that left arm up but at the same time i he's i'm i'm watching it and i'm like that he definitely left something on there right like it, there was something there for sure i mean after after Giannis dunked out dunked on him and and like stared him down like you know i i thought i thought that was the, the best possible response that i could have ever <laughs> imagined for al horford he gets dunked on by Giannis and then like literally takes over the game in the fourth quarter he's hitting all the shots he's he's playing great defense uh i was overwhelmed by horford's performance and the savior like literally the savior i mean in the in two of the games that they won like grant williams i think was a huge component for the the game two win that they had uh, and then Horford in this game in particular, he was he was the reason that they won this game. I mean, Tatum made some big shots in the fourth as well, like after Horford's flurry to kind of finish it off. Uh, but without a doubt, the Celtics lose that game without Al Horford doing what he did, which is so out of character for him. It is. But this guy's a consummate pro. He's been like this forever. Right. Like this is the kind of guy you want on your team. 
And you're, you know, going back to what you were saying about Giannis staring him down. Like I, you know how I feel about the flex Drew. I'm not a big, yeah. I'm, I, I don't like the flex, especially in the playoffs. I get it. Like, you know, adrenaline's rushing and whatnot, but like pick a different dude to flex on than Al Horford. It's like, okay, so you got by him and then you dunked. So you do this all the time. And it was like a fast break. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't really anything. It wasn't a dome piece. It wasn't in, like, it yeah. wasn't a, a tap the top of the head, like whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and even Horford said after the game, like a, a, a switch, like it pissed me off that yeah. and, and a switch. Well, his wife off. tweeted, his wife tweeted during the game, uh, apparently after that replay where Horford like just starts nodding his head and mm-hmm. staring at Giannis mm-hmm. after like after that exchange, his, Horford's wife goes, I know that look. He's <laughs> fucking pissed. I know that look. Right. Like, and she must get that from him all the time. He seems like the kind of the silent, the silent type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when he just, when he's just like nodding and like, you know, pursing his lips, she's like, Oh, some just tr- triggered, some just triggered old Al. And what, a, I mean, out, outrageous performance. If he's going to play like that, um, you know, for the remainder of the series, I don't see the bucks having a chance, but we, we know that he's not going to be 30 point, uh, 30 point per game. Not Horford. But- I mean, that was his playoff career record. Yeah, but they need uh, to for, fix it. Drew. His, his career high. The, the, the Bucks need to fix that, and he can't be getting the open looks. And what people forget is, like, you know, Horford was an all-star and made a living with his back to the basket, right? And he's kind of morphed into this three-point shooter, which you kind of need to be now at the, at the latter, you know, stages of your career. And I don't know, man. He's a good three-point shooter. You, you yeah, got to guard him. He's good. He's good. But I, he's, he's inconsistent, right? Like, I think it's okay. I mean, look, if I'm Milwaukee Bucks – I love the fact that Horford is going to get a three that may or may not be contested over, you know, a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart, like the remainder of the guys like Horford. Yes. He's a, he's a very good shooter. He's turned himself into a, a very good uh, center, you know, kind of over these years, but I, I'm happy with, if I'm the bucks, I'm happy that he's the one shooting and, and okay. You know, in a game where he's hitting like crazy, Maybe you're going to look for it's not going to have another three-point shooting night like he had in game four moving forward. Maybe for the rest of his life, he might not have another three-point shooting night the way he did, uh, you know, in that game. So I think the adjustment really, it, it you just have to get to him faster, right? I, I think that's the, that's the hard part for the Bucks is like, okay, if you're leaving Lopez out there and you're leaving Portis out there, you just, whatever the communication is, you gotta, you gotta try and at least get out there a little faster because the majority of the threes that he took were so open, um, and so yeah, I guess that that would be the thing is like just have a little bit more urgency, make him put the ball on the floor, and then you know we'll see what happens from there. But if they're not gonna, they're not gonna, they're not gonna be very successful if Horford's gonna ha- have those kind of nights. Yeah, and you know, in game three, Tatum had a horrible game, right? And I was just thinking about, you know, that's the one thing that had been keeping me from putting Tatum into that, like, oh, he's a top 10 guy, he's a superstar. Because it seems like every playoffs, he has one of those games where it's like, damn, yo, he was really bad, right? Mm-hmm. And, and game and he, one, game one, he was bad too. Right, and then you come back game four, he did hit yeah. big shots. So there's a couple of things I want to bring up about this game uh, that, kind of, that kind of bugged me. First thing I want to bring up is Stan Van Gundy calling uh, Grant Williams Grant Hill twice in the game, okay? <laughs> I don't know if anybody else caught that, but – called Grant Williams Grant Hill twice. And I understand he played for you in Orlando, I'm, assu- I'm, I'm assuming, but like, yeah. got to get your players like right, SVG. Got to get that right. Um, 
I really want, and I know, I, I know we've said this before and I know people say this, but like, I really want Giannis to get a mid range game. It seems like he, he was settling a couple times for like long twos, like 19 foot twos. And then the threes just need to stop right now. Four for 28 in the playoffs. Right. And yes, there are those games where he might hit two or three of them, but and I know the refereeing, which we'll get into later, has been tough. Giannis is a hard guy. It's like Shaq trying to trying to referee this guy because of how physical he is. And when he gets going downhill, it's it's crazy. In every one of these games, there's like three or four plays where bodies are just everywhere, right? It's Tatum on the ground, Grant Williams on the ground. Everybody's just on the ground. It's like a grenade went off when when Giannis goes to the rack. Uh, so maybe he's settling for these yeah. these jumpers a little too much. But, but like if anybody can add to his bag, Giannis has done it every year. We know this, but that turnaround hook that I think would be like amazing for him. Got to work on that and then figure it out. Either, either take the three or don't settle for a long two. two. I just want to see something a little more from him. Um, and of course, this is the best player in the world. And this is me telling him what I think he needs to work on. That's just from what I see. I would love for him to get a mid range game. I thought Wes Matthews on ball defense was, was really, really nice. nice. His defense is really nice at times. Yeah. I don't remember ever saying that about Wes Matthews, but uh, I love it. I love uh, – I thought Connaughton played really well. They should have won that game, man. They let that one slip away, and I think it all started with the flex and pissing these guys off. And, and you know, we, we talked about this with Minnesota. It's kind of like, you know, you're going to poke the bear. The bear is going to bite back. And I also think that, like yeah. – the calls really didn't go their way a lot. And we'll, again, we'll talk about the, the officiating in a minute, but look, we have three series now minus minus golden state and uh, the Grizzlies that are all tied up at two, two. This is what we wanted. And just, it came out right before we started this podcast that John Moran is out for the playoffs. It's over. Uh, he has a bruised uh, knee now. So he he's done for the playoffs. And most likely that means, I mean, you're down three, one, most likely that means you're, you're losing anyways. And we'll get into that game in a moment, but we're two-two heading back to Beantown. Uh, what do you think? What do, what do you think right now? Well, I think the initially this in this series, I didn't see the Bucks missing Middleton as much as they have really last night in in Game Four. That was the one where I was like, you know, the the offense got a little stagnant uh, for the Bucks, and it's like, okay, who are we going to go to? And that's really when Middleton is at his best is in these crunch moments. They get him going and he can pretty much get his shot off against most defenders um, and they just really needed his space and his confidence um, on the ball in the fourth quarter to make some shit happen and you know for as good as Drew Holiday is I think that's the part of his game where all of us are just like oh man it would just be great if if Drew just decided to be a little bit more Middleton you know than he has shown up in the past where you know I think the I think Middleton's best attribute is is doing what we are wanting Giannis to do and get to that mid range and find a nice pull up from seventeen. I think Middleton is very good at that, and a lot of the times that shit goes right in the bottom of the bucket. Um, so I that's this is the, really the first time where I've been like that's that's where Middleton would have been huge for them, and maybe the, that game would have been a little different. But really, when I think about this series outside of Game One. The Celtics have had the better of the Bucks in each one of these other games in two, three, and four. And, and I mean, how about the ending for game three where Marcus Smart intentionally misses the free throw 
and that never works out that well. It works. Not only does he miss it, he gets it back. Everyone, they got three opportunities at the rim, and they get the one that goes into the buzzer just after the buzzer goes off. And I mean, so by the skin of their teeth are the Milwaukee Bucks 2 2 right now. It really should be 3 1 uh, Boston. And especially when you consider how shit they Boston Celtics played in game one, that's the worst shooting game of their entire season. This to me firmly lies now, especially with home court advantage in the hands of the Celtics. It's a, you know, it's two, two. So it's a, it's a three game series and the Celtics have two of those three at home, uh, a huge, huge importance, how they finished the end of the season, end of the regular season. And Milwaukee didn't, Milwaukee decided to duck the, the nets and the Celtics were like, fuck that. We got them. And we'll, we'll, we'll just roll through. And then we have this all important home court advantage. So, you know, anytime that that happens, obviously game five is going to be very pivotal. Um, in any time, in any, in all three of these series, game five is going to be really, really important uh, because typically, I think it's like seventy-eight percent of the game seven series that, like, whoever wins game five in a two-two wins the series. So that's you know that's going to be something that the Bucks will be aware of. It's something that the Celtics will be aware of. Uh, but to me, the the success that the Celtics have had, even though it's two-two with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum not being like 100% quality the whole time. They've had a lot of, you know, missed shots. I mean, especially Jalen Brown. He's missed so many open shots that you would expect him to hit. So even with all that going sideways, they're still very much in all of those games and won two of them. So I think the Celtics will win. I would love for it to go seven because this to me is the most entertaining series that we have. Um, I love the quality of the defense. I love the intensity of this of this matchup. Uh, it's everything that I ask for in a playoff series, other than the fact that at times uh, both of these teams are missing shots. I mean, like in, in game four or at halftime, like both teams were below 40% from the field. And so my hope is, is that the series progresses this way because it's been phenomenal. I love watching Giannis try to just run through Grant Williams and Horford and the rest of those guys. And I love watching Tatum and Brown trying to like figure out how the fuck to dissect the Bucks defense. Um, so I would love for it to go seven. I think the Celtics will win uh, in six or seven though. That's my, that's my, that's my bet. Unless Middleton can come back, which it doesn't seem like that's going to be an option. Yeah. They, they definitely need him, man. They, they need him. He's the biggest part of their squad. I mean, the second biggest part of their squad. I do think Drew's forcing a lot of stuff, too. I think he's trying, like, overly trying, and I don't think he's – there. he has this personal thing with Marcus Smart right now, and uh, I just I think, think he's he's trying too hard. But um, it's going to be interesting because if Horford doesn't have that game last night, Celtic, uh, Milwaukee rolls. You know what I mean? Milwaukee right. rolls. And, and, and I don't think Giannis played great last night. God, I would – couple times at the free throw line man i was just taking a look at this guy what a fucking beast this guy is right just yeah. standing still you see every single muscle in this guy's yeah. arm he's like sculpted on marble he does he feels like he feels like one of those greek sculptures like literally a greek god you are bro like <laughs> jesus and i could just i mean grant grant williams and, and horford have to go home every night and just ice bath like it's gotta be yeah. such a physical pain to just have to guard this man. And again, when he, when he goes downhill, like what are you supposed to do? The only thing you can do is try, try to, to step, step in front of him, him and get, get a call. It's, yep. it's so wild how dominant he is. Um, let's, let's go into the Grizz Warriors game again. Like uh, 
for the first time in a while, like Adams starts, right? So the Grizzlies go big and uh, Golden State's going small, right? And I liked it. It was working in the beginning. Um, I thought Tyus Jones stepped in nicely for Ja. I really like this kid. His po- poise, his composure. He looks like a vet out there. I think, uh, I think he's going to be fine moving forward. I actually think somebody might pay him to be their starting point guard at some point. There's some things he needs to work out. One, I'll tell you what bugged the shit out of me, though, Drew. There were there were so many bricks in this game that you yeah. could have literally built Crypto.com, right? You could have rebuilt this whole new Staples Center <laughs> with the amount of, of bricks that were being thrown up. And it was so frustrating to me. We're talking about the note. One of the notes I have from the game is like, yo, is the mid-range dead? Because it's either there's three things going on and pretty much going on and through the whole playoffs. There's three moves that NBA teams are doing. It's a three-pointer. It's a try to get to the lane for a layup or it's uh, somebody flopping to get a charge. Like literally those are the only three (laughs) plays people do unless you're Chris Paul or DeMar DeRozan or Kawhi or even Middleton. We'll put Middleton in this that have a really nice mid range game. Nobody's doing that. It's three or nothing. Clay was there, but you know, Clay's been in, been having his own issues. So are we just not teaching the mid range anymore? And I loved how Dylan Brooks just gets, uh, just gets booed out of the gym as soon as he touches the ball and then immediately jacks up a three. That's nothing but air. Right. And I'm like, Oh God, here we go. But I thought (laughs) Memphis played really well. You know what I mean? And they literally gave that game away. The the numbers don't lie. 20 and five without jaw. They play fine without him. Desmond Bain has been atrocious in this series. I think he's averaging 10 points a game. He, and we were just saying how he's the second most important player on that squad. Um, uh, entry passes. Do we do, do do we not teach these anymore? I think even Chuck brought it up at halftime, and it's so true, man. Like, do we not teach this in 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 basketball anymore? I know they skip it in AAU, but when you have uh, there's so many turnovers and so many people throwing the ball away, not being able to get the ball to their big down low. It was bugging the shit out of me. I want to give some props to somebody during this game, though. And it's, it's slow-mo Kyle Anderson, right? And I saw the greatest tweet uh, that had me dying laughing the other day. They're like, it was a picture. It was a, it was a video of Kyle Anderson shooting a three-pointer. And it was somebody uh, quoted it saying, it, somebody just said, it looks like Kyle Anderson loading a musket when he's shooting, right? Because it takes 15 <laughs> minutes for this dude to get a bucket up. But I like it, right? Like he plays at his own pace and he gets the shots that he wants to get, right? Like he knows who he is and he's actually, he is so slow though. And there should also be a drinking game in every single game that this guy plays where when they call him slow-mo or how slow he is, you should take a shot because it's, it's also getting really annoying. But (laughs) anyways, uh, Steph had a great fourth quarter. Um, these guys look, I, I like Memphis. I just, this is the problem that we had going into these playoffs where I felt that they're not necessarily ready. They haven't, they haven't been playoff tested really yet. Um, they are very young. I think they're built really well. They, they, uh, they draft really well. It seems like these guys have great camaraderie, but without jaw, you're just, you're looking at the play. Look, man, put it this way. If you took a, a, a screenshot, of the squad, they they when they were up ten yesterday, right in the third quarter, and you're like, look, Desmond Bain, um, Zaire Williams, Stephen Adams, Tyus Jones, and Dylan Brooks. This team is going to be beating the Golden State Warriors in the semifinals of the Western Conference. You know, in the Western Conference semifinals, what would you think? Or Kyle Anderson was in. Excuse me. 
what the hell would you think, right? They obviously know how to play together. But when you look at that, you know it's not enough. And Draymond said today on his podcast and said, look, you're not playing the Minnesota Timberwolves anymore. You're playing a championship caliber team. We've been here before. We know what we're doing. And that's so true. That's how they closed out the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, Steph had a huge game. Otto Porter stepped up big time for them. There's something that that's just really pissing me off, Drew. And I, I've said this numerous times, and I don't want to be boomer clips here, but I am so tired on how, A, the over-officiating of the officials, okay, meaning like – they, it seems like we can't even get two or three plays down the court without something being called, right? Without <laughs> some something, right? And then it's now it's become you have to be an actor to play in the NBA. Like if you're not selling calls on everything you fucking do, then what? Then you're not really playing basketball, right? And it even happened with. I mean, it happened all night last night, but like. The huge play where Desmond Bain pushes Steph for whatever reason, it they went after the game. The refs looked at it and said, oh, that isn't a foul. Well, then why, why do you call it, right? And it's Steph flying, flying out of, out of the frame, right? Did it, did it do exactly what Steph wanted it to do? Yes, of course. You got the call. You go to the free throw line. I think they went up four at that point. But I want them to get the call right. And then – with me saying that, I also don't want them to go to the monitor every single time, man. And it's just like the over theatrics of everybody either arguing with the refs or trying to literally sell everything as a foul, as an offensive foul. I'm fucking over it, dude. But is that me being boomer clips or is, do, is this something that we all just need to get used to now? So I think the thing about the era that we're in now is that this is just how it's going to be moving forward. I agree uh, with, with your sentiments. Like I wish it wasn't a part of the game, but these players, they, they know what the refs are looking for now and they know what to do to exaggerate enough, just enough to get this, you know, to get the call to go their way. The, I mean, this really, it's taken what, what amounts to like 30 years for it to go from like the Vlade Divox of the world who was just one of the random guys who would flop to now in order for you, if seemingly in order for you to get a charge or to get a call, it feels like you have to flop. Like, you know what I mean? Like that it, it, it's the, the, the seesaw is completely the other way now in, in, in regards to like how these players awareness has changed of what the refs are looking at. And I do think it's because of the evolution of like the found, like the, the path that the NBA chose to try and protect players and not do the, you know, the, the hand checking is gone and less physical play and all of that is fine. And I think overall it, it has led to uh, a much more exciting, fast paced version of basketball until you get to these crucial minutes in the fourth quarter when everything sl slows to a complete halt because the refs are trying to make sure they get every call right. It's, it's a situation that we've talked about for all the years that we've been on here, and it doesn't seem like there's like a clear-cut answer for the best way forward other than something that we both have talked about is like, well, why don't we just have uh, an indication light from the, the guys in New Jersey that are watching the game and they can flash a light and go, hey, like, let's take a quick look at what happened or, or just give them the answer. Right. The refs don't need to look at it and review it and do all this. You just fucking tell them what it is and then we can move along faster. But either way, it 
I think this is now what we're going to be dealing with. Like, I mean, as some of our listeners know, I'm a huge soccer fan and this is something that's been prevalent in soccer for the last 20 years. And it's almost like with how, with the, with the rise in popularity of soccer in the United States, NBA players are like, Oh shit, wait, I think I can do that. Like, you know, soccer players dive all the time. They try to they try to fake the refs out. Like, Oh, I got kicked or I got pushed or they do it all the time. And, and a lot of times it fucking works in soccer. And so I think something, the only real recourse that that the nba will have is is punishment after the fact like bring back the flopping punishments like the the fines for flopping uh and then you have to address it after the fact and then almost create like a point total the way that they have created the technical fouls total to where you're suspended right so if you get 15 flop points you're out for the next game and then, you know, if you get two more every time after that, you're out, you're you know, continually suspended. I, that's really the only way to police it. That's how they do it in soccer. You get yellow carded. Supposedly, if you fake uh, a foul, they yellow card you. And those are accumulative to to, you know, make you miss a game due to suspension for, you know, the uh, for falsifying a specific foul. So I think that's the only thing that I can come up with other than the stuff that we've mentioned in the past is like, let's let's create a tally. And if you're Draymond Green or if you're Luke Kennard or whoever the fuck you are, if you get caught flopping, there's a small fine. And then there's that's one flopping point that you have. And if you reach whatever threshold, you're suspended. But I agree, Clips. There's not really another way around it. And I think this is just like the, 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 the reality of our situation now in the NBA is that these refs are handcuffed a bit because they know if they make the wrong call, it, they're gonna, it's going to get pointed out. And they want to make the right call. So they're going to stop it to make sure that they did make the right call because that's also their metrics are based right. on how many calls they get right and how many calls they get wrong. So like they're doing their due diligence to also get sure, ensure that they make it into the playoffs in order to referee more and get more money and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. But like if I'm Memphis, right. And I'm sitting at home and I'm watching as soon as they show the replay, I'm like, that's not a foul. Like he, the, like Steph is just selling it selling it greatly right but if i'm memphis and then after the game the refs are like oh well you know sh we shouldn't have called that but you did and it changed the outcome of the game we also we can't i hate the fact where it's like i'm looking at who's playing and who's starting tonight and then i'm looking at who's refereeing the game yeah. why am i looking <laughs> at if 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 scott foster's refing why am i looking at if mark davis is refing why can't why is everything different based on what referee is the is the uh the crew chief at the time they should not be a part or or play a difference in any one of these basketball games i know it's a hard job you know an nba referee is one of my best friends i talk to all the freaking time and he never gives me anything that i can work with nothing but uh, it's just, it, it drives me absolutely crazy. Cause I, and again, I'm not a pro player. You're not a pro player. That's just not how I grew up playing basketball. Right, like, right. because we can't fake anybody out. Like the homies will be like, no, bro, not a foul. You're not getting that. You know what right. I mean? Or we don't take charges in pickup games or in, or in the church leagues or in the men's leagues or anything. There's no such thing as that. It, I just don't like how it's played such an intricate role now. Uh, in in basketball is the selling of a call to to make the referee think that this was an offensive foul or whatnot. And also like getting hit in the head is part of playing sports. You you might get hit in the head with an elbow. You might catch someone. Now, look, I know a lot of people are bringing up or have brought up, you know, what happened to Gary Payton Jr. It sucks. It was a it was a hard foul. I don't think 
Dylan Brooks meant to do that at all. Nobody in the NBA really strives to take somebody out like that. I think the way he fell, I think obviously played a part in that. Um, it, it was a horrible foul. Flagrant two, you should be kicked out of the game 100%. Our boy Stan said something that that made a lot of sense to me. They're like, He's like, look, I think that if you get a flagrant two and hurt somebody, you should be out as long as that player is out. And I'm like, oh, damn. Think, think about how soft the NBA would get with that, right? Yeah. Like, okay, if if GP's out for, for five games or whatever, off a of flagrant two, he's out for the series for the rest of the season. Maybe Dylan Brooks should be out for the rest of the season, right? Um, I don't think – it's just yeah. even even the little ones with Jordan Poole and Ja, right? Like, the, the I cannot believe that that was called, right? And if you think that Jordan Poole maliciously tried to rip Ja Morant's knee, kneecap off of him, you're crazy. If you watch that in, 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 in game speed, you don't even notice it. And you want to know why Ja's knee hurts? It's because he's like a fucking wrecking ball on 95% of every one of his plays, right? He, the reason why his knees hurt is for the reason why we love Ja. He's a rim attacker. He's 165 pounds, man. And, and I'm sorry, Memphis fans, but like he's going to have a knee injury at some point. But it definitely did not start with Jordan Poole reaching for the basketball. It's complete bullshit. And that I don't have you talked to anybody that said, yo, that was that was that was some foul shit by Jordan Poole. Have you have you heard that, that yet? No, no. I mean, I think everyone that 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 I've talked to about it is more level headed uh, than, you know, the Grizzlies fans who would, of course, be the ones voicing that that was a dirty play. Right. And I think that that like the vitriol between these two teams, right? Like, you know, you have Draymond ejected in the game, game one, then you have Dylan Brooks ejected in game two and with a serious injury. And now John Morant's get, you know, gets hurt at the end of game three. So it's like, I get it. I totally get why the refs are probably going to be a watching, you know, these guys in this, in this series in particular, a lot more closely than they would a regular season game, for instance, but it is, it's that element to this series has is part of what has, has made it so thrilling i think for me is because it's like fuck dude these guys don't like each other they're not afraid to you know put their bodies on the line um and you know sometimes a bad foul happens and so look i mean the way that i think about it is i think draymond's foul in game one i thought the the correct punishment was given i didn't like it but i thought the correct punishment was given i think Dylan Brooks foul in against Gary Payton was a really bad decision by Dylan Brooks. I think if he could do it over again, he would absolutely do it differently. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think there was like a good, like, fuck you kind of an attitude from mm -hmm. him that I, that I saw that like would be, Oh yeah, I did that on purpose or, you know, anything like that. Like he was going, he was playing real hard. Um, and you know, sometimes when you go that fast and you just, you're willing to throw shit around, like you're going to, you're going to hurt somebody. Um, so yeah, ill-advised play. Really, really horrible. What happened to Gary Payton? I, I can't, I can't express that enough. Like, what a, what a fucking terrible time for that to happen to him in his career. But at least he's on guaranteed money for the first time in his NBA career, so he's gonna be all right. Um, and hopefully he'll be back. You know, maybe, maybe in time for the finals. Like, who knows? Like, maybe, maybe if the Warriors make it there, he'll be, he'll be Doesn't out there look guarding like whoever, the, whoever the hell Boston Celtics have. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's bad. And then, you know, the Jordan Poole thing only gets blown up because of what happened in the in the series earlier, right? Like if we don't have Draymond ejected in the first and Dylan Brooks ejected in the second game, 
we don't even we don't even review we don't even like slow that down we don't even really pay any attention to what happened to jaw it's like oh that's a weird kind of a weird play i guess yeah i guess maybe pool kind of tugged at his knee a little bit that's not even really a foul to me i you know technically you should i guess they could have called that a foul because it was on his body and the, but the ball was loose so i just i i understand why the Grizzlies fans would be like all pissed off and gung ho about how Jordan Poole and, and, and Dylan Brooks did the same thing. Dirty fucking player, blah, 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 blah. I get it. Right. It makes you upset. But when you, when you see that in a, in a, if that happened in a, in a regular season game or in any of the other series that's going on right now, almost zero attention is brought to it other than, Oh, I guess maybe that might be where he tweaked his knee, but there was no intent there. And certainly not on the level of intent, of Draymond's or Dylan Brooks's flagrant twos. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe it did cause an injury. I'm not going to be here. Like, I'm not Mr. You know, doctor or mm-hmm. a physical therapist that says that can't be the reason why he injured. It very well could be the reason mm-hmm. he injured his knee. But that's what you goes back to what you said. Sometimes you get hit in the face when you play a physical sport like basketball. Sometimes you roll an ankle. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get fucking, you know, blown out and, you're, and your shoulder's dislocated. Or sometimes when a guy's trying to grab a loose ball, he grabs your knee and you feel a little, you know, a little tweak happen in there. It sucks. Uh, I wish John Morant was on the floor because goddamn, is he fun to watch? Uh, but, you know, that's the way the series went. And, and back to the actual games, the Grizzlies should have taken care of business in game one, didn't. And they definitely should have taken care of business last night in game four. And they didn't. And that's the reason that they're not going to win this series. Uh, I think going back to the point that you made, uh, Tyus Jones played fantastically well. I think everybody else on the Grizzlies played pretty poorly, except for our guy Slow Mo, <laughs> who um, missed huge free throws. Though of, Drew, honestly, he was, he, but he it, was horrible from the free throw line. But it was, I agree. But it was, it was also like the worst playoff game I've seen this entire postseason. Like, oh, it's horrible. as intense as it was, huh? It was horrible, dude. Oh my God. I, they were both, they were both below 36% from the field at first half. Like, and, and, you know, coming off of a game three victory where the Warriors almost set the fucking NBA record for field goal percentage, they were shooting 72% from like three quarters of the game. We saw the two sides of the Golden State Warriors, right? Like, so we see game three untouchable. I don't care what team, what era, no one's beating the Golden State Warriors on game three. Any team, any era doesn't matter. They're not losing a game. And then you see game four where they're like, oh, my God, we can't even Steph can't even he can't even hit like he can't even hit anything like he, he's just throwing shit up. And Clay was all over the place and everyone's Drew, just bricking shit. It Drew, was insane. It, it also goes back to what I was just saying about like it's either a three or nothing. Right. I think the stat was five for 40 for both teams going into halftime from three. Yeah. They shot 40 yeah. shots from three. Once you miss like the first 12, you know what? Let's get an easy bucket, Clay. Back to the basket. Give me a <laughs> give me a mid-range. And it's like, nah, dude, let's just keep jacking these. Let's just keep shooting them. They're gonna have to fall. <laughs> yeah. I and so I think you know that that to me it was a tough watch for the very first time. It was a tough watch in this series for game four. And it's mostly because jaw wasn't on the floor. I feel like the game uh, for the warriors, they were just like, Oh, cool. Jaws out. Not a problem. Like we got this. We don't really have to try very hard. We're going to just win and roll over and, you know, and they'll, they'll just, they're just going to go home and we're going to take care of the business, which is true. It's, I mean, that's what's going to happen, but you saw zero urgency from them. And then you saw the lack of talent uh, and the lack of scoring ability. 
from the Grizzlies from the Grizzlies in that same game. And so eventually in the, in the fourth quarter, Steph pulls a fucking rabbit out of his ass. And guess what? They win the game. Uh, and now the series is over. I don't, you know, yeah, maybe Memphis will pull pull something out for game five and they'll and they'll come back with a win. But there is no hope for the Grizzlies now moving forward. No, I had deja vu though, Drew. Like that when it was tie game or whatever, and there's 30 seconds left or whatever, they were down, they were down two. I had deja vu from the, the Timberwolves. Like Dylan yeah. Brooks comes down and throws up the dumbest shot I've ever seen. I'm like, oh my God, that was so dumb. And then Jaron Jackson, who doesn't even, there's time on the clock, man. Get, to the, get to the rack. Horrible decisions. If that's what Jenkins is drawing up, which I highly doubt that he did, yeah. um, th- that's where it comes in where I'm saying lack of experience and, and age, right? Like those are not the right shots. And um it was just mind boggling to me. It just reminded me of that final play with Kat and D'Angelo. It, it just, uh, if I'm a coach, I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? That is not what we drew up. So that se- that series is going to be over uh, quicker than expected, which is sad. Yeah, before we move on clips, I know we're going to, we have some more shit to talk about. Uh, a concerning thing for me has been brought up in the last couple games for the Warriors. You know, moving forward, looks like they're going to probably face the Suns, but who the fuck knows, who knows? Based, based on the way that Dallas Mavericks plays last couple games. But Clay Thompson, he's not looking his normal self. He, I thought, you know, at the end of the season, he had rattled off a couple 30 point games, was looking much, much better. I think, and this is something that, you know, really became apparent to me in games three, four, there's potential that if Clay is going to continue to be indecisive and uh, have a lack of confidence in crucial offensive plays the way he has throughout this series, there's a potential that he'll need to be benched in the Western Conference Finals and in the finals unless he can find that, regain that confidence in that form. I mean, there was at least four different plays that I can recall where he just dribbled into nowhere and then had to turn the ball over, was forcing up a bad shot, trying to make an extra pass because he didn't want to shoot and then it led to a turnover or you know a, a, a really bad opportunity at the basket for them. I just think, you know, and, and part of this is him getting back up to speed. Obviously, it's his first playoffs since the injuries and all that stuff. And it's a we all know it's another ramp up, another level of, of play when you go from the regular season to the playoffs. But that's a cause for concern for me. But the good news for the Warriors is you have guys like Otto to go on the bench that can step in. I just think to me, I, I hope it's I hope it's not going to be the case, but to me, there's a chance that Clay is only getting these minutes based on his status. And I think the Warriors at times have chosen to put Clay out there based on the status, not based on the fact that he might do better offensively or defensively than someone like a Jordan Poole or an Otto Porter, Kaminga, somebody somebody like that that provides a little bit of extra defensive awareness and and offensive, you know, presence and confidence on the ball. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't necessarily think it's a, like a problem now, obviously. And, and for the remainder of the Grizzlies series, get him out there and let's see if he can find his footing and find his rhythm and, and work this out. But it's, it's the next round. It's, it's the Suns or the Mavericks and then the finals where it's like, like well, if you're going to be indecisive in the last few minutes of the game, we almost need to put you on the bench uh, because we got guys that are ready to go and, and potentially playing a lot better than Clay. Yeah. I think that they, I think they're starting to feel that way. I mean, even just starting Kaminga last night, right? Like that's, that was an odd start. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought that the Warriors would start, uh, you know, you know, a 19 year old, 
But I mean, there's a, it's obvious that clay is a step slow. I mean, there was an air ball last night and in a crucial time that was a little, that's definitely not like clay. Uh, But I, we look, the NBA is better when Clay Thompson is good, right? And when the Warriors are good. I want him to find – I also think there might be some – I could be totally wrong, but there might be some some uh, like inner battles, like seeing Jordan Poole succeed and like, damn, this guy is probably mm. going to take my spot at some point, which he should. But like will Clay be like Steph and be like, okay, I, I'll come off the bench if that's the best thing for our right. team. I think he would be. I think he I would think be. I think so too. It, it might be a blow to the <laughs> ego a little bit. Yeah. I think he would. I think he would as well if he was asked to do that mm-hmm. uh, for the betterment of the team. Uh, and 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 to be fair to Clay, like it's not all the time. It's just these moments where it's very un, very much unlike Clay mm-hmm. to have this like weird like where am I going? Oh shit, I'm in a corner. I gotta throw it away kind of moment. He just never would do that. He would always find a good spot and kick it back out to whoever needs to get the ball, move the ball in rotation. Uh, and, and again, to be fair, he he had huge plays in every game. He's had huge plays. And in this one in particular, huge steal. He, and he ends up hitting a big shot. Like and so he, he his value is obvious. It's just it's like, fuck, dude, like, can you just get it together? Because not even just in the fourth quarter, there's just times where, where I'm like, oh, no, like what? Clay, what are you doing, buddy? And uh, so I, my hope is that he figures out he's my favorite player in the NBA right now. So I, I want maybe more than anyone except for Crompton for him to succeed. <laughs> Uh, but it just, it's just growing pains right now, I think is what we're, we're witnessing. Wasn't that part of our group chat in after game three was like, get it together, Clay. Like, can, wasn't that yeah. somebody that was just like, dude, can you pull it together? Cause there was like a sequence there where it's like, just dude, calm, who is that? Just calm it down. Just calm. You've been here before. Remember you've, you've done this. Just don't <laughs> right. dribble to the corner of a double team. Right. Just don't, don't put the ball on the ground and go to the corner. That's the last thing you want to do. All right, it's 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 crazy what a week can do, Drew. I just got to give a big shout out to the Dallas freaking Mavericks, man, for tying this series up two-two. <laughs> they did everything that I wanted them to do. Can we get DFS, Dorian Finney-Smith? Can we get Kleba? Can we get, uh, you know, obviously Luca? Can Jalen Brunson have a good game? They finally figured it out. And they've won two games in a row. It definitely helps that Chris Paul had like the worst game, game I've like ever that. seen him play. And I two, you know, two, two yeah, two worst games. Yes, but I'm specifically talking about game three, where yeah. it was and Drew, I have watched I I am one of the people that have watched hundreds and hundreds of Chris, Chris. Paul games, right? When he got to four turnovers, like in the first quarter, I'm like, oh, oh boy, I've yeah. never seen that, right? And, and, and again, I bring it up all the time. He is my point God. And this two weeks ago, a week ago, all we're talking about is, wow, this guy is fucking perfect. Right. Yeah. And then this happens, right. It's a horrible, horrible game. Three fouls out of game four. the drama with his family, who I, I want to talk about this really fast because in, I didn't, un, there, I didn't understand what was going on. Right. I saw Chris Paul get heated. I see the kid whatever Kyle's name is getting escorted out by his mom, but, and everybody was sending it to me. I wanted to get the details on it. Like what was happening. Right. And I guess it was Kyle and his mom, and they were just trying to hug, like hug Chris's family who didn't want any parts of this. Right. Cause all you see Chris saying is he put hands on my mom, hands on my mom. When somebody says to me like, Oh, he, he put hands on my mom. I'm thinking my mom got hit. 
right? Like yeah. somebody like slapped my mom. Right. And I, from, from everything that I've gathered, I guess these people were being very annoying. They were trying to have conversations with this, with Chris's family, which they weren't more, you know, when people don't want to talk to you, they did not want to talk. And then I guess they were trying to hug mom and stuff. And when people don't want to be touched, they don't want to be touched. First of all, you yeah. shouldn't be, you shouldn't be hugging anybody you don't know as it is. Nobody, Nobody likes, likes to right. be touched. All right. I don't like to be touched by people. I don't know. You don't just walk up to random people and hug them. I mean, I guess you could, but not in that scenario. And you, and it's mother's day, dude. Okay. Like, what are you doing <laughs> trying to, and I'm glad they kicked them out of the arena, but look, I think we're at a point now. Uh, this was in front of Chris's kids who are like, grown kids, not grown, grown kids, but they know what's going on. I think, uh, Lil Chris has got to be 11, right? 12, like maybe at least, yeah. 13 at this point. And, um, the self-awareness of these people that don't realize that they don't want to, that Chris's family does not want to talk to them or they don't want to be touched. I, I just think we're at a point right now where it's like family needs to be in the suite, man. Like I think family should have their own suite. You should be with other members of, of the family. I think it's getting a little too, uh, you know, a little too close to home. Again, we, we bring this up all the time with basketball. You are close. Like you can sit courtside and players can dap you and sweat on you and, you know, fall into your lap. And I just think, I, I think it's time to get the family members like out of there. Cause it's obvious that fans can't control themselves and they're being fucking idiots a lot uh, more than they are being yeah. good people. So, um, that doesn't that doesn't mean that Chris Paul had a you know is going to take away from the horrible game he had, but I just thought we should bring that up. Yeah, it it almost feels strange to me, especially like now, like in today's uh, era of fandom, that anyone would want to be in an away game on the floor behind the bench. Like I wouldn't want that. I don't want to be surrounded by by Mavericks fans on all sides of me. Yes, I, you know, I want to be down. It's Mother's Day, so maybe I want to, you know, give Chris a, a kiss before the game. Look, look, fucking do that. Do that before the game and go up to the suite. Be safe. Uh, and, and also, this isn't like, I, I know we have, like, a, a, had a new wave of weird fan experiences and, like, ran, random shit happening all over the place with, with uh, sports fans. But Clipsy, I mean, I always go back to the 80s, man. I, they, they were allowed to rush the fucking court. They were allowed to rush the court in the 80s. Mm. And people were punching referees. People were, I mean, this is not new. This is not like a new thing. People are fucking nuts when it comes to sports. That's, that's part of why the, the passion is there. It's part of why it's fun to be a fan. It's like you're surrounded by people that all want the same thing. I mean, if you're at home, uh, you all want your home team to win. And so sometimes you get fucking lost in that moment. But to me, I think you're absolutely right. If you're going to go to an away game and support the away team, maybe consider a suite. Okay. Maybe you don't have to interact with these people. I, I, and I, I don't like it. I don't like that it has to be that way. But it, I do think that's, that's clearly the best way for everyone to go when it comes to this, you know, this kind of scenario. Or don't go to the game. Yeah, you know, I, I brought this story up on, on the show a couple times. But I remember going to the Clippers playoff game uh, in San Antonio. And it was a really great experience. The first three quarters, everybody was very nice to me. I was one of maybe 12 Clipper fans in the building. And I'm not that crazy fan that's talking shit or whatever, but I'm wearing my colors. They know who I'm there to represent. Everybody was really cool until San Antonio, you know, started winning by 2025. And then the Boo Birds came out and the people started throwing shit at me. And 
Uh, I had to be escorted. I would, you know, I was there with an NBA friend of mine and uh, I was actually, it's weird because for whatever reason, I was on the San Antonio family side when I was waiting for them after the game and I had to be escorted out by NBA security. So you're right. It gets hostile. I'm not that kind of fan. You're not that kind of fan, but also you need to be self-aware and yeah. understand when people don't want to talk to you. And also we're in these times of COVID where people don't know where you've been and don't want to be touched. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And that's another reason why the suite makes a lot of sense. Yes. Like I don't want to be around 50,000 people right now. No, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to be around four. <laughs> and, and, but I, Right. Yeah, exactly. I, and, and just to be fair, I, I'm not trying to say that that's like that anything that transpired with Chris's family is at in any way a fault of their own. I'm not trying to say that uh, they should definitely be able to sit wherever they want and peacefully watch a game, but it's not the most shocking thing in the world when a, when a situation like this happens where someone is supporting an away, just like the story that you gave when you're mm -hmm. supporting away team, sometimes you're going to get people that are stupid and lash out for whatever reason or do weird things like try to give you a hug. I mean, you know, and I think the good news is that Chris mom's Chris Paul's mom didn't get pushed or hit in the face or some crazy shit, you know, like it's really good news that it was, you know, all this controversy surrounding a hug to me, like, you know, it, it could have been a lot worse. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, 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 I don't know the whole story. That's all I know. Maybe things, maybe it was a sarcastic hug or it, Either way, an unwarranted hug, even if it's from, you know, a female in the streets or a, a dude that's trying. To, there was one guy that I used to work with that used to get really drunk and get very touchy, yeah. like with me and be and I didn't like it. And no. he was also one of those guys that like to kiss dudes on the cheek. Right. And I don't oh, play boy. that shit, dude. Oh, I don't boy. care how drunk you are and whatnot. It's too much. No, and it's way this too much. Europe. This is in Europe, bro. I don't like it. And, you know, anyways, just be more aware of when people don't want to talk to you. It's like the guys at the bars that talk to the women that are giving them zero signs <laughs> that they want to be talked to. Right. And they still don't get it. Some people are completely oblivious. I think NBA security handled it really well. And uh, you can obviously yeah. see whatever line was crossed. It was crossed and it pissed Chris Paul off. And I'd be pissed off, too, if somebody's trying to touch my mom. Um, but, you know, that doesn't look that that was that happened. It's, it's over. Dallas is up two two. Dallas is tied two two with the Phoenix suns with the best team in the NBA. seems like everything that they're doing. We wanted these guys to shoot better. They are shooting better. Lucas finding the open guy. I mean, do I think Finney Smith is going to have another one of these crazy games that we, you know, he had a playoff career high uh, on Sunday. I don't know if he, I hope he can do it again. Also like how good is Kleber? Like how this guy can play defense. He can guard the big guy. He can knock down the big shot. I really like this. He might make my all underrated team, Drew. Nice. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, this is the fun part for this series is like uh, the old adage that role players play better at home. And boy, boy, has that never been more true than in this series right now like you got you got you know just just crickets just no noise being made by those guys no <laughs> cleaver's cleaver's been good cleaver's been good and then and then you know yeah cleaver's been i'm not yeah i'm excluding him from that he's been okay. he's been their second best player throughout the playoffs uh without a doubt um but the rest of them like dfs and uh brunson dinwiddie uh, I mean, Powell got some good minutes in there. I, you know, it's just lot me and laser in the last game. They made 14 threes before that. <laughs> Bertons, Bertons, exactly. In, in, in the last game, they, they made 14 threes at halftime. 
they had 14 threes. They finished with 20, but that's not a, I mean, I don't know many teams who are going to take that, uh, you know, as the Suns be able to handle 14 threes dropping in the way that they were dropping in. Uh, and to me, that that was the best game for Dallas, like to rally around was game four because Luca was a little off. He was like nine for 25 or some shit, uh, but still, you know, doing Luca stuff, getting where he needs to. And then what we said was, you know, when when he's getting you these wide open looks, you just got to knock down a couple of them if you're if you're a, you know, a teammate of him of his on the Mavericks. And they did that. They did that in game three and they did that in game four, especially well in game four. It, and it also coincided with the with two of Chris Paul's worst games of the season. Like three game three and game four were not good Chris Paul games. His birthday um, day, so, his birthday day game was on that game three, and it was yep. a, not a happy birthday. No, birthday and Mother's Day were, did not go very well for Chris. <laughs> Uh, but I think now that he, maybe he's past that, I don't know, maybe he, he ate some cake that had eggs in it. I know he doesn't eat a lot of eggs. So I, whatever it was, maybe it's out of his system. Uh, and you have to assume that they're going to bounce back pretty substantially in game five. Like, like we had said, uh, earlier, I think it's 78% of game fives that are won when the series is two, two, the series goes to the winner of game five. So, you know, I, uh, as much as it's easy to like brush this off as not a, a you know, game five is not being a, a must win. Both teams really should look at it as a must win. And so I'm expecting to see some really, really good play, some very physical play. Uh, and I think, you know, for the Suns, the same thing happened uh, just inverse from the Mavs, right? So like uh, the role players for the Suns really good in game one and two. Games three and four, not so good. So we'll see what, like, you know, how this whole system is going and and who shows up ready to go. Like if Jay Crowder decides that game five is going to be his game and he hits his first three, watch out. I don't think the Suns are going to lose. <laughs> but if Jay Crowder misses his first three, I think, honestly, I'm, I might go out on a limb and say if Jay Crowder's first three-point attempt will determine who wins the game. Ooh, I like that, though. I like that. You know, <laughs> one thing I can take away from this series, no matter what, is there's not there's nobody that can guard Luca. Like you're not going to check Luca, no. and he he's so much bigger and stronger, and he is. I know he's not the fastest dude in the world, but he's very methodical, and he is he's too strong for bridges. He's too strong for pain. He loves it yep. when Chris Paul tries to get on him. That's okay, but um, it, it, he is that good, man. I think he settles a lot for those. Deep, deep threes. I think, look, he had 26 points. 16 of 26 points were in the paint, man. So I would, if I'm him, I would just keep pounding that ball yeah. in the paint. Let's stop playing with the referees at all times. You know, he he's another one. Like, it's, it's, it's obvious that he's one of the biggest criers to the referees, and they're over him. Then he's, and he's probably not getting the calls he should get because he's bitching the whole time. And uh, I think if he closes his mouth a little bit, he might get more calls, man. And he's not getting back on defense on the times when he's pouting. That kind of stuff bugs the shit out of me. The other thing that, you know, a guy who I've been very high on you as well is DeAndre Ayton, right? Like this guy has really good basketball skills. Uh, I love him around the, the, the hoop. I think he's got soft hands. But like maybe this is the reason why they were a little scared to give him $120 million. Like, look, there is no big in the paint. Kleber's the guy guarding you. Uh, you you need to go to work, homie. You got to go to work and put up like 15 and 10 is okay. I need a little more from, from DeAndre Ayton in the post. See DeAndre Ayton's fault, in my opinion, because Ayton doesn't, they don't just give him the ball and say, go ahead. 
all of his points come as a result of a pick and roll or some sort of screening system. So I agree with you. Yes, I'd like to see him do better, but I think that's on the Suns and Monty Williams to say, let's get, let's make sure we get a post touch for Aiton on Kleba. Cause I know he can drop step and bang on Kleba. I think, I think he, I, he can definitely do that or he can do his little jump hook or he can do, you know, what have you. But I agree. I think, I think they should be taking advantage of his superiority in the paint and they don't a lot. And that's, I mean, there's only so much he can do. He can't dribble the ball up the floor. The ball needs to be brought to him. So I agree. I think they need to do that. The Suns definitely need to go to Aiton more. And I think they need to feature him more with just a normal post entry pass. They got Chris Paul, one of the few uh, players in the NBA who knows how to deliver a great he can throw pass. us. He Let's can throw us. Let's have him try one or two, you know, and then guess what? If they do- start to double, then it opens everything. You got all these corner shooters and wing shooters. It's, it's, it's obviously the, the way that I think that they can have the most success. All right, Drew. So heading back to Phoenix game five, are we expecting Chris Paul to have another horrible game? Are we expecting Luca to have a huge game? I'm going with the home team on this one. It's hard yeah. to win in Phoenix. Uh, I'll be very shocked if Chris Paul has another, you know, another bad game. Right. But uh, I, I'm going to take Phoenix on this one. Who you got? Yeah, I think this is this could be a, a Chris Paul like 30-15 kind of a kind of a game five. Uh, just you know he played so poorly. I just don't. I don't see it. I don't see that sustaining for Game Five. I don't see that happening. And and who knows? Maybe the Mavs will be able to to match it and meet it and steal a game. But I agree. I mean, you got to go with the Suns after losing two in a row. I don't know how many times this season they even lost two games in a row. So they haven't lost three. Sure. They haven't lost, lost three. They haven't in lost a row. three in a row. There you go. So I mean, they're just not conditioned to lose three games in a row. That's that's not going to happen, in my opinion. Who knows? I mean, if Luca goes for 60 or some crazy shit, which is definitely possible, or if Kleber goes for 30, uh, then, you know, it's all, all bets are off. But uh, definitely taking the Suns in this one. Uh, and for the series, I think, I think the fun part is, though, because of how, how this series has gone, if, it, if the Suns win game five, I, I do kind of expect the Mavs to win game six and then send it back. To a, to a seven-game series. And I, I think that the Suns are the better team. We said that they were far superior after game one. Uh, but, you know, how the tables turn, as they say. Uh, they don't look as far as, as far inferior as we thought, my friend. Uh, they're, the Mavs are looking much more competitive uh, than, I would have, what I, than I would have guessed. I think initially I would have called, a, you know, five or six games, you know, for, for Phoenix. But I do think this is going to go seven. I still think the Suns will, 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 will hang on and, and hold it off. Yeah, I, I want to see if they can if Mavs can bring that same defensive intensity intensity from like the jump. Reggie Bullock was was about yes. that life in the beginning of the game, uh, picking up full court. I want to see that. It's the playoffs, man. It's kind of what you got to do. So, do I want to see a big game from Luca? Yes, I do. Uh, but I, if I'm a betting man, I'm taking Phoenix tonight. All right, we got one more series. Uh, game five is actually going on right now. Again, how crazy a week goes, right? You get Embiid back, you win two games. Vintage James Harden comes and drops 31 points, nine rebounds, seven assists, gets six for 10 threes, uh, was hitting huge shots like we wanted him to be doing. Maxi looks great. Uh, Niang hit some big shots, and Embiid is just doing Embiid things. Meanwhile, Jimmy Buckets drops a quiet 40-piece. Um <sighs> You know, Duncan Robinson, $90 million Duncan Robinson's played one minute in the playoffs, right? They're not even, they're not bringing him in uh, at all. Uh, and 
you know, Tyler looks okay, man. I don't, I don't know how to call this series, Drew. I really don't. Like Embiid is back, and he should be dominant. And if we get another version of Harden, can we get another two games like this out of Harden? Does he need 31 points for these guys to be winning? I don't know, man. It's been really fun and interesting, but um, I don't know, man. What what did you think of those last those last two games? Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that Joel Embiid is by far the best player on the court. And so anytime you have that guy inserted into the middle of a series, it's really difficult to, to guess how that's going to go. You know, the big questions are like, will it take Embiid some time to ramp up and get back into, you know, kind of game readiness after missing like almost a week with no real basketball activity? And you can see it. He was, he was a bit rusty in game three um, and even a little bit in game four. But when you have that kind of presence – and this is this is coming from a guy who got to witness Shaquille O'Neal uh, for so many years as a Lakers fan. And just the confidence it gave me as a fan to have Shaquille O'Neal on the court, I'm assuming has to be similar to the confidence that these Philly fans feel when Joel is on the court. Now, you pair that with James Harden's second 30-point game ever in in a Philadelphia 76ers jersey, which is crazy because he's played more games than than we might have expected for him to only have two 30-point efforts. And they're not going to lose too many of those games, anybody. Uh, Embiid's going to play well. Harden goes off for 30 points. That's like a winning formula, right? Um, I also think this is probably the toughest – matchup for Bam Adebayo, where in most series, Bam is able to handle the task of the larger center or the smaller, you know, you know, kind of uh, stretch five beautifully. He's able to handle most, even like, you know, like a a guy like Jokic, I think he would do fantastic against. Uh, Even, you know, we've seen him do really well against Giannis over the last few years. I think he's a phenomenal player, but when you're six, nine, and whatever he is, 220, 230 pounds, whatever he is. big enough. And you, it's it just, yeah. And this is this is the thing. This is why I'm bringing up Shaq mm-hmm. is because for, for that whole time, every other team was like, okay, we will, we'll, we'll sign Sean Rooks for four years <laughs> because he can kind of, he can kind of muscle him, muscle Shaq a little bit and like at least, you know, why do you foul think, him six times? Why do you think Portland brought in 35 year old Sabonis? It's like okay, you're, you're a big guy. Well, you Shaq look like made you so many careers. Shaq made so many seven footer careers. He, I mean, they should all be giving him ten percent, like an agent. Chris Dudley, uh, Chris but, Dudley, here is fifty million dollars on the Knicks. <laughs> I need five of that. Shaq says I need five of that. Uh, this is the problem. This is the problem. Is like for Bam, it would be great for them to have like a Robin Lopez mm-hmm. or somebody who's an actual seven footer to at least, you know, give him some fucking break, give him, just give him a little breather, you know, float him out on somebody else, have him come be weak side, help, help defense. Um, and they just don't have it. They have that guy yurt seven who he's cool, but Embiid can just move him. Uh, you know, and it, you know, I think, I think eventually yurt seven will be a pretty stout, like miles Plumlee ish, type of center for 12 years. They probably play for 12 years in the league, but right now, you know, they have nothing. They have no answers for Embiid on the block. And, and when you see Embiid like fully locked in the way that he was, especially in game four, like on both ends of the floor, 
it's it's so obvious that he's the most important and impactful player on the floor. And um, really, I think the hope now for the Heat, who I thought was going to handle this series pretty easily, uh, the, the hope now is that they can actually start shooting the ball collectively as a team much better. And you got to hope, you know, today they're they're at home. I believe they're up by by 10 or 10 or 11 points right now. So you got to hope that that home gym just eases those shooting woes as a unit because Jimmy's been doing great. You know, they, Jimmy's been scoring the bucket. He's been driving. He's been playing hard defense. I think Jimmy's, you know, doing Jimmy stuff. But Kyle Lowry being in and out and he's and done for the series, by the back, way, and he's out all the way now. Yeah, he's done for the and, play. He's done. So, you know, that's a that's a bigger blow. We, we, we kind of thought that that would be a big deal. And it didn't seem that way because Embiid wasn't there and they were just able to mop the floor with Gabe Vincent at point guard. Uh, but really, it, it, it also to me, it has to be Oladipo stepping up here. Like it, instead of Gabe Vincent, let's just go Oladipo and Hero and like let's have some more offensive firepower on the floor. Because when things get stagnant, there's only so much Jimmy can do. There's only so much Tyler Hero can do. Um, and I think Philly's length is really causing them problems. I mean, as bad as James Harden is on defense, um, I think Tobias and the rest, I mean, literally the rest of the guys, Thibel, uh, you know, even Niang is, is, is you know, a pretty, pretty decent defender. Like they're, they're, they're putting bodies out there and they're playing hard, the Sixers are. Uh, much harder than they were in the first two games. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I just think from a game plan point of view, the Sixers have much more at their disposal offensively than, than the Heat have to offer. Um, and, and even you can see it, even when Bam Adebayo is, is um, being guarded by Embiid, where he has a little bit of that quickness advantage, or they get him in a pick and roll kind of a deal, He's only really ever getting 12 shots at the most. So you can't really, I mean, it, that almost goes back to my DeAndre Ayton point. Like, let's, if, if we're going to do this, if we're going to die with Adebayo as the center, we're going to go down with the ship, then let's get this ball, let's get the man the ball and see if he can get Embiid in foul trouble. Uh, to me, that's really, that's like one way to do it. But mostly it's just got it like Oladipo, Hero, Butler, Struess, and, and Bam. And you just gotta you gotta rock with those guys and try and speed them up or slow them down. Whatever you think that you need to do, um, it just not it's not looking very good right now. Especially if, if Harden's going to be as good as he was in in Game Four, which I don't a little bit like the Harden of old, but he's lost nearly all of his explosiveness. I mean, this is something that's been reported throughout the entire season. So this isn't news, uh, but when he's hitting his threes like that and getting into the step backs. I don't think the Heat have enough in the tank to beat the Sixers if Harden's going to play that way. But the hope is that collectively they just got to shoot better and then and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, but I mean then you're relying on Gabe Vincent and Tyler and Jimmy who can't shoot the three, doesn't like to shoot the three. Uh, I don't know. I, I believe in Philly a little more. I don't even need 31-point James Harden. I really right. don't. I, I, I just need you to be productive, man. Even if you're getting, I think, I think it's his point production is what's overshadowing. Like he is a playmaker now, right? The guy can give you nine assists, 10 dime. I mean, shit, didn't he leave, lead the NBA in assists this year? Like uh -huh. 
he he's that guy now Chris Paul did but close enough you know what I mean so if he can distribute and get people again open shots look man this isn't all about your superstars it's going to take the whole village to win it to win a championship you need your guys uh you know you need Tobias you need Maxi you need all of these guys to be producing it's not just singularly James Harden needs to have 30 points nah man this ain't Houston anymore this is utilizing the, the people that you have on the squad. And I think Miami does do that well. These people do get their shots. Um, and they have people on their team like Jimmy and like Tyler who can create their own shots. But, look, I, I, I can't bet against Embiid, not to mention he's pissed off he didn't win the MVP, which, were, <laughs> which, which I kind of want to – I want to get into our house cleaning right now because I do want to watch this game. I'm taking Philly tonight. Who do you got? Oh, no, I think Miami will win tonight. Game okay. five, they lost two in a row. I think Miami will take tonight, and then and then it'll get interesting uh, because, I I mean, shit, man. And be just a, he's just a tough mofo for that, for that Miami defense to deal with. Just tough. All right, so a little house cleaning before we get into uh, final thoughts really quick. I want to bring up some things that have been happening around the NBA. Look, Joker won MVP. Monty Williams won coach of the year. These aren't shocking. I think we were, what were we, four for five? We, the only thing we didn't do well on was the most improved player, which John Morant shouldn't have won anyways. Yep. Uh, but we did call that Jokic would win the MVP, and he did. Uh, I know some people are really salty about it and whatnot, but, like, I, you know, I, again, I'm fine with if you have the argument that, that Embiid should be MVP. I'm totally fine with that. I'm open to it. Uh, I, I'd be fine with it. In my eyes and in Drew's Drew's eyes, it was Joker all year. You take yep. Joker off of that team, they're not only not a playoff team, they are a lottery team with yep. without Joker on the floor. Uh, and the numbers that he put up this year, his availability this year, everything that he brought to the table this year, even in the playoffs, the guy gave it everything he possibly had. Uh, MVP, he won it for a reason. He got my vote. Not that we have a vote yet. He got your vote as well. So uh, uh, congrats to Joker. Do you have anything to say about that? I think we've, we banged the, the Jokic drum all season long. Um, and especially at the end, the, just the sheer, the sheer volume of his statistics are overwhelming. There's no other choice for me. Um, I, I understand why people are upset. If you think Embiid was the better player, then that's fine. But don't tell me you watched enough Nuggets games. If you think, if you think Embiid's the better player and deserved MVP, don't sit there and tell me you watched at least 50 Nuggets games because you didn't. Um, but I understand. I understand the people that want Embiid. He he is very imposing. He's he's the closest thing we have to Shaq. I told I get all of it, and he can shoot and he can dribble. He can oh all the oh man all that good stuff. I get it. And in any other season, I would be fine with him winning MVP. But I don't know. I think I've made my case for Jokic enough. Yeah, and it's a regular season award, and we we always forget that, or people forget that it's regular season. It is what it is. Monty Williams winning coach of the year. Perfectly fine with that. I, I just yeah. wanted Ty Lue to get a couple votes to make me feel good. And he did. Got a couple <laughs> second place votes. So I'm good with that. Um, Rocco, my guy, Robert Covington, our biggest for the Clippers. Got to have some a Clipper piece in here. Uh, he signed with the Clippers two year, 24 million. He got the bag. I'm, I'm happy. He has a home for two years. I think it's very well deserved. And I'm very happy as a Clipper fan being that we got, we knocked this out of the, out of the park, you know, quickly. I think he's going to be huge for us next year. And now we just need to figure out Nico Batum and, uh, which I think he's going to resign too. We just got to make the money work and it is what it is. So I'm stoked. Rocco's coming back. 
I, I wanted to bring this up final on, on uh, our house cleaning is there's been a lot of talk about Mark Jackson coming back to coaching. And uh, I know our boy Crompton wanted us to bring this up. I know he interviewed for uh, the Sacramento Kings job, which didn't happen because Mike Brown got it. Mike Brown's the first coach in NBA history to be the head coach of two NBA teams in one day, which is pretty wild. He got, you know, cause Steve Kerr's out with COVID. Uh, I like Mike Brown. I think it's a safe, a safe bet for Sacramento. I know that, uh, uh, the Lakers have been talking to Mark Jackson as well. I thought the safer bet for if, if Mark Jackson was going to take a job, I thought Sacramento would have been a great starting point for Mark. Like, look, Mark Jackson's the reason why I love basketball. The reason why I love the Clippers, right? He was my point guard. The first Clipper game that I went to, he's my favorite point guard of all time. I love him as an announcer as well. But then also we have to take into consideration this dude hasn't hasn't, hasn't coached an NBA team since 2014. He's been out of the loop for eight years. Shit's changed a little bit. I don't think throwing him into the Lakers organization is the best thing for Mark Jackson. And I don't know how many people really want that job right now. I know it's the Lakers, but I'm not sure at this point, at this juncture in Mark Jackson's career, that the Lakers would be the best bet. Also, now that we know that Phil Jackson's advising the Genie, but which is just so weird. It's such a love try. Like, didn't he was wasn't he engaged to Genie? Yep. Right. And then doesn't he have beef with LeBron? Didn't he have like horrible comments about LeBron back in the day? Which Might've. was. He did. And I wish I had it. I had the notes down about it. I just, I think it's still so weird. And Jeannie came out with a quote today on how disappointed she was. And I'm glad she finally came out and said it. Like, look, we were the fourth, uh, fourth highest bankroll in the NBA and we're not even making it to the playoffs. I think they're going to be strategic. I hope that they're going to be strategic for your, for, for you and for Laker fans that they pick the right coach. I personally don't think the Lakers is the best fit for Mark Jackson. Do I think he deserves a coaching job? Sure. But then like there are plenty of assistant coaches that have been doing this, you know, the past eight seasons that probably deserve a shot too. I, I don't know if like, I don't know. Are we just, are we, are we so in, in, infatuated with Mark Jackson because of what happened in golden state with the splash brothers and like, you know, whenever we talk about the Splash Brothers, we always talk about, well, you know, that was Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson coined it, and he's the reason they are what they are today. But, like, being out of the game for a long time, Drew, if I didn't pick up a podcasting microphone for eight years, I probably wouldn't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> and there's probably people that are way better than than you or I if we took eight years off. So, anyways, that's my feeling on Mark Jackson. I'd love for him to get an assistant coaching job somewhere, if that's what he really wants. You know, he's also really good on the microphone. So, anyways, what do you think about that? Well, I'm happy for uh, for Mike Brown. Um, I do think while the Lakers and Kings both had openings for coaches, the list of guys raising their hands for that job was probably pretty small. So I'm happy that Mike Brown got it. I think you know my hope is is that he'll have support and that the and that the players there will buy into whatever system that he's got going on. Uh, but there has been zero evidence that getting a job in the Sacramento Kings means anything to any head coach, right? They've just had a revolving door of head coaches there. So I feel bad for him in a sense that, you know, I don't know if he'll be there in three years, but he'll get paid. And I'm sure Steve Kerr will welcome him back with open arms uh, on the bench of the Golden State Warriors when, when his stint is over in the Kings. Yeah, I think – 
I think uh, Mike Brown is like going to have the career like Alvin Gentry, right? Like, you know, I'm going to be an assistant yep. coach for three years and then somebody's going to give me a shot. I'll, then I'll be a head coach. And then, you know what? Hey guys, you still hiring? I can take a spot up on that bench. Mike Brown's a good coach, right? He's a good yep. coach. But all I'm saying is like a great starting point for Mark, if he's going to jump into this would probably be with a team that has very low expectations. And I think, I think he would be great for the guys. Uh, well, so here's, here's my sentiment on, on Mark Jackson as the Lakers head coach. Normally I would not like Mark Jackson to be the head coach. However, I do think he's one of the few options that would demand respect from LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook that we could bring in. And I think, you know, LeBron's uh, quite a historian, uh, loves, loves, the, loves to, you know, talk about how, how much he knows about the game and, and the history of the game. I think that would be a helpful um, voice for Jeannie and for Rob Palinka, you know, for, for Mark Jackson to be the one that to kind of step in and, and be like, you know, actually, LeBron, I think this is what we should do. And then hopefully, you know, with his historical importance, we'll have we'll we'll bend the ear of LeBron and Russell and everybody else uh, accordingly. So the other part of this, though, is I wouldn't mind Mark Jackson because whoever gets this job is not going to have it for very long. <laughs> Let's just be real. We we hired and fired a manager and won a championship in three years, four years, whatever it was for Vogel. And I don't know how any coach would be like, all right, that's a cool situation. I want that job. To be in. <laughs> I won you a championship and you fired me two years later and did it and did a dirty job of it too. Just kind of just sent it out to Woj first. It's like, who the fuck is raising their hand to be a Lakers head coach right now? <laughs> Nobody. Okay. So pipe dream is Quinn Snyder. Mm. Love it. Want it. I want all of it. I don't think we're going to get him. I actually hope we don't get him. Just I, I think Quinn's a good coach. I think he deserves to go to like replace Popovich at the Spurs and be there for the next 20 years, not fuck around with this nonsensical circus that we have going on in our front office. Secondarily, Adrian Griffin, uh, Darvin Ham, uh, Sam Cassell, all of these assistant coaches who have put in their time that we are considering interviewing or have already interviewed. I don't want them to get it because that's the worst possible way to start your coaching career is coaching fucking LeBron James. David Blatt is still in Russia. He won't, they won't even let him out of Russia, David Blatt. He coached for one year, got him to the finals. Nobody wants him. Nobody wants him in the NBA anymore, okay? So if, if I'm Adrian Griffin, if I'm Darvin Ham, okay, big opportunity. Maybe you take it. It's a huge payday. Maybe you take it just for that and to get some experience. But it's just not a great thing to start your career coaching LeBron James doesn't seem to work out for too many rookie head coaches uh the final piece about Mark Jackson and this this will be something that Warriors fans know a lot more than me so outside of the the respect factor and maybe commanding some respect from LeBron he wasn't the greatest coach, <laughs> right? You know, like part of the reason, part of the reason why he wasn't the head coach when they won all those championships is he wasn't great. <laughs> like he was good. He was good. And he set the table and I feel bad for him because I do think they probably would have pulled it together and won a championship under him, but who knows how well that quote unquote dynasty would have gone if they would have been a dynasty or if there would have been a blip in the radar of just one, one championship and maybe falls down to the wayside. I don't know. But I feel bad for Mark. But I do know for a fact that Warriors fans were happy, in a sense, 
to get Steve Kerr as the new head coach, even though Mark Jackson did all of these things to set the table and put some, you know, put the ball in Steph and, and Clay's hands and just kind of let him run wild and, you know, put some defensive structures in place. But he was not uh, an elite head coach by any by any sense of the imagination. Um, so anyway, I'm OK if we get Mark Jackson. I'm, I, I, I guess the way that I've talked myself into it now, I, I kind of hope he becomes our head coach because this will just be another three, four, five year tenure for whoever the fuck takes over this job. If that, if they make it that long, Hey, final thoughts, Drew, you got something for me. I do. Uh, this one's going to be quick. It's something that hit me the other night and it was watching the Warriors game and it just popped in my head. I think Steph and uh, Steph Curry and Raymond Green are this generation's Stockton and Malone and Draymond is Stockton. Oh boy. And Steph Curry. Whoa. Is whoa. Malone. Whoa. Don't think about it. Don't think about it in, in the sense of like how they did it, like where specifically on the court they did it. But I have never seen, I have never seen another duo besides Stockton and Malone just have such chemistry and connection, constantly awareness, constantly like waiting patient like just knowing that next level mentality of like knowing already before it's going to happen i haven't seen any two teammates with longevity the way that steph and dre have since john stockton and carl malone it's a fun you know sometimes i like to throw curveballs that well yeah here. This, is, this is a slider this one's a slider the slider my my favorite pitch uh and it just it struck me, and I, I just wanted to throw it out there. I want to see some reaction from you, and I want to hear some reaction from the listeners. But if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. You know, it, no, it, it okay, so it makes way more sense than your Danny Green is this generation's Robert Ory, even though he went Robert Ory, a big shot Bob the other night with like 37 threes, and I'm like, oh, shit, yep. Drew's going to say something. But that's also coming off of a horrible, like, whole series until he, until he hit those threes. But, yes, okay. Uh, to piggyback of what you're saying, yes, the chemistry is ridiculous. Again, muscle memory stuff. It's so good that there's times where th there's a reason why Draymond throws it off people's heads sometimes. It's because they're not in the right place where Draymond's <laughs> used to them being, right? It's not a bad pass when Draymond's throwing it off somebody's head. It's because somebody else is fucked up and not in the right position, you know, because that chemistry is so good. And I think they've You've brought it up many a times. We've brought it up like the how these guys move, right, is ridiculous. And it all starts with Draymond and their passing. So, yes, I could see that. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Stockton and Malone were connected on a, on a whole different level uh, than everybody else. They knew where those passes were going to be at all times. And I think Steph feels the same way. Uh, with Draymond, like he knows it's going to be in in his uh, in his shooter's pocket every time when he wants to get that corner three and whatnot, and and Draymond knows where Steph is going to be because they've run these plays so many times. So yes, I'm I'm fine with it, Drew. I'm fine with it, Drew. I like it. Okay, I cool. I think it's a good call. Um, yeah. <clears throat> my final thought is something a little random, but and I'm going to try to explain it the best I can as soon as I can. You know, I'm big in the NFT space. I'm huge. I really love Top Shot. I think there's going to be a huge uh, movement within it. everything's down right now. If, if you say the word NFT, people are already puking, right? Stock markets <laughs> down. Uh, 
cryptos down nfts are down i am still bullish clips and i'm very excited for what's going to happen we're looking at a crypto winner that's what they're calling it it's going to be that bad but with nfts i still think it's going to be huge it's going to be something that's going to be uh with companies and with businesses moving forward and i thought the big three and ice cube did something so wild last week this week that i actually had to speak with my parents and speak with the people that um you know, know the business really well, know the space really well. But Ice Cube and the big three uh, are moving towards Web3. And what they're doing, Drew, I don't know if you knew this, but they are selling NFTs for each one of the teams that are in the big three. There are two tiers. It's a $25,000 fire tier, and there's a $5,000 gold tier. These get you ownership in the team. The the in real wow. life, you, dude, you're buying in to owning the team. You can actually be an owner. You have voting rights. You get uh, you get owners parking. You get floor seats. You get suites. You get uh, access to the players. You get to go to uh, practices and and you get to be involved and be in the voting process of this team. And I was so interested in it. I was talking to our boy, uh, Commissioner Matt, about it. On, I was going to liquidate some of my my uh, my top shot to buy into the $5,000 piece. Gary V bought every, there's only 25, $25,000 tiers of ownership for each team. Gary V bought all 25 for the New York squad. He is a, he is a complete owner of that team. Um, And anyways, the real life, the in real life utility, like I was, if we had more time, I would have talked to you about it. How cool would it be to be clips and drew our part owners of the LA squad, right. Or whatever squad that we wanted. Okay. Uh, and $5,000 is, is not a huge chunk of money at all, but to be able to be an owner, uh, I think it's very progressive of, of ice cube and the big three to try this shit out. I think with soccer teams or, or minor league teams or G league teams, I think this is going to be something that is going to be happening. And once it was explained to me and I saw it, I'm like, yo, that is a great opportunity. Right. And then even with these buy-ins at gold or at the fire tier if they ever drop ipo you're going to get first crack at it and look this 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 league is in its in its infancy right it's the fifth season and i think just with what ice cube is thinking he's thinking outside the box bringing the fans in and giving them an opportunity to do something that like i'm never going to have six billion to buy the clippers right (laughs) I might right. be able to buy floor seats one day, but I don't, I don't have that extra 250 K to do that. But you know what? I do have five K to buy a piece of a big, big three team. It's kind of cool. What do you think about that? That's a very interesting and very smart tactic. Um, Ice cube and, and you know, the people that he's doing business with are, are very sharp, obviously. And I don't know. I don't know the level of success or not that the big three is having in comparison to other, you know, professional, semi-professional, smaller leagues. This I know that Tracy McGrady is about to start his one-on-one league. That's going to go uh, live pretty soon. I think it's, you know, I, I don't even know what that would look like. And, and that's certainly going to be fun and, and seems like it's going to be full of highlights, but it is a very, very interesting um, off- offering two fans and people that are interested in the big three. I think that's a very, very smart way to do it. It's also like a really interesting way to raise money, which is totally. also a beneficial thing for ice cube. No, totally. Uh, but I, don't, I think, 
Yeah, yeah. The, the tech side and the blockchain side of it makes complete sense. Also, like you have access and ex- you, rights to the logo and all of that. You can make your own merch and sell it. You can do whatever you want with it. You own it. And I just, mm. I just thought it was so innovative. And I think that's a way that that businesses are going to be going moving forward. Like, look, if the Clippers said, if Balmer said, you know what? I'm going to give up 10% of the team to the biggest fans that we have, right? I want the fans to have ownership of this of this team, right? Or at least some kind of say in the team. And they were selling that NFT or that portion of the team for a 5K or a 10K. Fuck, how, how interesting would that be, right? And yeah. it, it, it would be pretty awesome. And I thought that giving guys like us the opportunity to be a part owner of a professional franchise would be awesome and that brings the fandom experience i love the top shot experience it makes me you know love being a fan even more but then to even have ownership uh and a say in what in the direction of this league uh i think it's awesome and i think what ice cube did with his partners uh i think are extremely innovative yeah i at the very least it should you know at least drum up some um some interest from from people that might have like maybe taken a look here or there oh yeah maybe i'll see the big three on highlights but it is it's a very cool it's a very cool way to go about it and um yeah i'll be interested to see how quickly all those spots go you know well, I, I wanted mean? it if i if i wanted it if i had enough time i thought i had till june one to do it. That's why I wanted to talk to my parents. I wanted to talk to a couple of my NBA guys and just be like, what their thoughts on the big three and the future of it? Like, do you like it? Right. Do you think it'll be here in 10 years? Viable. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I didn't know that literally they were offered today. Not only would it take me a solid week, week and a half to liquidate some of my stuff uh, to, to do it. I just didn't have the time. Maybe this will, the opportunity will happen next year, but if it is, I'm, I want to be ready for it. So Mm -hmm. I just, I just thought it was, I thought it was great. And it, it uh, you know, really opened my eyes. You know, I'm, I, I'm big on the NFT thing, and I think it's going to be with us no matter what. And guess what, guys? No matter what crypto is going to be, it doesn't matter if it's down right now. It'll, it'll, you know, it'll be up next week. It'll be down the week after. But crypto's here to stay. Blockchain's here to stay. NFTs are probably here to stay. So anyways, that's, that, that was my final thought. I like it. I think it. I think it is cool. It's unique. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily see any big leagues doing this, but for startup leagues like this, from any from any uh, sport, this makes a lot of sense to me. All right, that's all the time we got, Drew. We have to watch this Philly Miami game. Uh, we'll be back in a couple days. Drew will be in Lake Tahoe, but we're still gonna bring it. It's the follow through with Clips and Drew, and we're ghosts. You know what it is. You know what it is. You know where you're at. This is the follow through with Clips and Drew.